welcome to Mental Healthy, where we share the stories and expertise of professionals working diligently in the field of mental health. I'm your host today, Dr. Kenyon Knapp. Well, welcome everyone to the Mental Healthy Podcast. We're glad to have you with us today. I've got a great guest with us today, Mr. Jo- Dr. John Sullivan. And um, welcome to the podcast, John. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on the program. Uh, why don't you give the listeners a little bit of information about you and your background before we dive into the topic today? Okay, okay, sure. Um, well, like you said, my name's John. I've been married for 37 years. I've got um, I have two grown children, two grandchildren. I have, uh, I have been uh, a pastor. In fact, I've pastored three different churches during my life been a missions pastor. I teach counseling online at Liberty University and teach in the classroom at Shorter University here in Georgia and uh, also work as a pastoral counselor here in Georgia. So there's a lot going on. Along with that, we have, of course, have uh, our organization. I lead our anti-trafficking organization. So a lot going on these days. It sounds like it. I mean, goodness gracious, <laughs> you got your hands full. But, but well, that, that's a great introduction, though. It gives everyone a feel for you and your background. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned mm-hmm. there that you run a, a trafficking uh, prevention ministry called Grace. Right. So why don't you tell mm-hmm. tell the listeners a little bit about Grace and the mission of Grace and what, that okay, ac- what the acronym sure. stands for? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, everyone generally just knows us as Grace because uh, the full name is <laughs> it's kind of a mouthful. But GRACE stands for the Global Relief Association for Crisis and Emergency. And that's, uh, that's our proper name. Like I said, everyone knows us as GRACE. And we have the mission of strengthening families and eradicating the vulnerabilities of human trafficking and exploitation. That, that's really what we're about. Oh, wow, that, that sounds great. And there's a lot of people listening that really care about human trafficking prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, so can I ask, mm-hmm. what, what is it that got you into this uh, type of work? Because for some people, it's maybe scary or intimidating to work with that kind of issue. Right, yeah. It, it is just uh, hearing about it and uh, just hearing about it can be kind of scary in the way things happen sometimes. But uh, honestly, my introduction to trafficking come by way of my opportunity to get to travel to many parts of the world. Uh, As a missions pastor, um, we have connections in uh, Ukraine, Russia, uh, different places in Asia, South America. So I got to uh, I got, I've got to do a, a great amount of traveling during these years, and I would see, I'd go to these places and uh, see trafficking in different contexts. Uh, I mean, from the streets of Moscow, seeing children begging on the street and learning that they were there under the direction of a trafficker. And, of course, uh, some of the prostitution in different parts of the world. Um, I've been in, uh, been in Pakistan and been out to the uh, what's known as the brick kilns where the, 
the slaves actually make brick by hand and learning that uh, many of those people were there against their will. And so through all these, tri uh, these trips, traveling, uh, uh, mission, uh, mission trips, forming relationships with different ministry and business leaders around the world, we were introduced to this, uh, to this concept of trafficking. I mean, I'd heard of trafficking before, before all of the travel. And at one point, I can remember thinking that this was an Eastern European, Asian problem, and it really was not a worldwide problem. But through my traveling and through the research, I see, uh, I began to discover that this was an international human rights issue. And so just being on the ground in these different places, I was first. I saw firsthand in different contexts what trafficking looked like and began learning about how it developed and what placed people in those situations. So, yeah, the way we got there is just seeing it from the travel and then following up with our own research. Yeah. Now, when I went to your <laughs> website, I saw that a lot of your, your work was in Thailand. And um, mm, right. give the listeners an idea, like, why did you pick Thailand to do a lot of your, your work with the Okay, yeah. Yeah, great question. Because I, I get that a lot in the different places that I have the opportunity to speak. They ask, why in the, why in the world Thailand? Because Thailand is just about as far away from Atlanta, Georgia, as you can possibly get. Mm -hmm. uh, but we had the opportunity uh, to travel there. Uh, my first time in Thailand was actually in 2013, so not that long ago. Uh, but we went there to actually visit a missionary who was on the ground doing a different type work there. He was out of our church, and so me being the missions pastor, my wife and I got to travel there just to get connected with him, see how he, we could better resource him and... Um, and support the work, the, the worthwhile work that he was doing. And uh, while we're there, he introduces us to a lot of different ministries, different business, business people. And through that process, we were introduced to, uh, to actually a daycare. He's carrying us by a daycare on one particular day. And just to be honest, um, I was not really interested in the daycare. It was the place where we're going. We're going to spend a half hour there, play with the kids, and move on to the next thing. But that is not what happened because we get there, and like I said, it's a daycare. There's children in there, two and three years old. But there's also some kids in the center that's 12 and 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And so that piqued my interest. What, what's going on here? Because school's in session. What are they doing at a daycare? I mean, extremely long story uh, short is that we we learned that these uh, children were from very they were from very impoverished families, and the parents, in reality, could not afford to send the children to school, uh -huh. and because in that in that context, they're in Thailand that the children have uh, uniforms that they're required to purchase. 
they have teacher fees that they have to pay the teacher and each teacher sets their own fee. Uh, I mean, school in and of itself officially is free, but there are all the, there are these fees that are attached to that. And so if I'm a parent and I can't afford to buy my son these five sets of uniforms required to go to school, then he doesn't go to school. And what I learned was happening there that oftentimes that these kids were not going to school. They come out of slum, slum-like conditions. I mean, very poor, very impoverished. And this would happen. And, and these kids would not go to school ever because mom and dad just could not afford for them to go to school. And so they get to be 12, 13 years old and never going to school. Some could not even read their name. And they only had one thing that was really marketable, and that was their sexuality. And so that happened. We saw that, heard stories time after time how this happened. And then if it wasn't sexual exploitation, it was labor exploitation that, I mean, they could go into agricultural fields and pick the fruit, work in fields and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And But oftentimes it was without pay or it was so low that it, it, was, it was slave in effect. And so we saw this and my wife and I both felt a very specific call of God to get involved here. I mean, we didn't know what that meant in the very beginning, but it, but it ended up meaning that we actually moved there for a certain time period and address the vulnerabilities that that we saw there in Thailand, and from that forming these uh, family resource centers to address these vulnerabilities. So, I mean, I could talk about the why Thailand for a long time. There's a lot that went into it, but that's Keenan. That that's essentially it. I mean, we saw the need and really, honestly, felt a call of God to get involved and we just we just actually followed him step by step through this process. So that that's the way it happened. That that started in we were actually in Thailand in January of two thousand thirteen by the springtime with the help of several people on the ground there because I come back to the US for a time, but we developed a child sponsorship program to address some of those immediate needs of education and nutrition and wellness to start to turn the tide in this neighborhood of from the problems we were seeing. So that's the way it started. Okay. Well, you know, your website uses this phrasing that I, I just heard you say it here just now as well, that your organization works to eradicate vulnerabilities of human trafficking. And you mentioned one or two of them, like poverty and things like that. Yeah. But, but what are some of the, the vulnerabilities that predispose people to to get drawn into yeah. or, or trapped in human trafficking? Mm-hmm. From, from what we've experienced on the ground and, and really tried to not only experience and what we've seen, but also looking at the research. And for me, there were three really big areas that continued to surface. And those those areas were poverty, illiteracy, and then an absence of the gospel. 
those were the three areas. I know in different contexts, in, in different places in the world, um, we, we see some different vulnerabilities such as statelessness, and then there's the, the uh, immigration factor sometimes. There, it was, it was those three areas that really rose to the surface for us. So, so our thinking was, if we could, I mean, human trafficking is such a big, broad, complex issue. Then we're looking at this neighborhood, this city, this place we were at, poverty, illiteracy, absence of the gospel. And what we've come to find out is any place where there's poverty, there's going to be trafficking in, in some fashion. And so through that lens, thinking about poverty, illiteracy, outlets of the gospel, we developed these family resource centers um, in neighborhoods that, that conducted an, a formal after-school program, which was in that neighborhood and that city, as far as I could tell, we, we tried to do our research and do our work on the ground to find out what was really going on within the city. Uh, as far as I could tell, we were really the first formal after-school program in Pacquia. Now, that, that involved uh, homework assistance. You know, I say that in the U.S., homework assistance, and it's not a big deal because we've got tutors, we've got after-school school care, uh, there's nonprofits that do that. Some churches do that. But there, it was not a thing. But that one aspect of this educational support, giving giving, um, giving homework assistance to these children who were struggling so in poverty educationally, because this, it, was a, it was a thing of generational illiteracy. A child comes home needing homework assistance, and they they need help. They they look to mom or dad. Well, mom or dad they can't read their name. They're a a day laborer. They're construction. They're out of work. They're a motorcycle taxi driver. Whatever it is they're doing, it doesn't require reading. They can't help with the, the math problems or the Thai language problem, mm -hmm. uh, Thai language issues that they. They have not a clue. And so this illiteracy thing just, just went from one generation to the next, and you insert qualified tutors, and, oh, man, we saw educational scores absolutely reverse. We, we, had, we have uh, consistently parents post, posting students' progress reports on Facebook demonstrating how they have improved in school and now there was hope for their children to not only finish school but learn finish strong get a job that would uh, that would sustain them there was hope for the future and so these vulnerabilities time and time again proved to be that of poverty and illiteracy that the generational poverty generational literacy and then even we would say the the christian ethic the loving each other and and even in our context of what Christ brings to the table through you know even salvation and and um, 
how we live our lives as Christians. Now, there in Thailand, it's uh, it stayed pretty consistent to be about 96% Buddhist, the Buddhist philosophy. And so, so the uh, in the Christian context, I mean, often when we got there, we heard that 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 Buddhism is very compatible with Christianity, which in reality, it's really not. And so, I mean, that's a whole dynamic we can get into if you like. But these were the, honestly, these were the three vulnerabilities that rose to the top. We recognized we can do something about this. I mean, we're not trying to change the tightness of the country. We're not trying to change the culture. We are simply introducing hope in a variety of contexts. And, you know, we can't reach everyone, but for those we do reach, it is, it is life-changing. Yeah. And so those are the vulnerabilities. Well, that, that, that's great. Thank you for uh, just informing all of us about that. You know, um, I tell you, John, it's interesting. The listeners of this program, some of them come from a Christian background and some don't. And when, uh-huh. you, when you list the vulnerabilities, poverty, illiteracy, and no gospel, mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, that last one might throw some people for a loop, like, what? But, but I, I've been around the world myself, too, and it's, right. it's interesting how the philosophy of a country or a part of the world either makes it more predisposed to human trafficking or less predisposed. Like, mm-hmm. like when you think mm-hmm. of the Declaration of Independence here in America— you know, a lot of Americans believe that we were endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. And that mm-hmm. that, that line of thinking is sort of, you know, in the right. Americans' minds. But a few years ago when I was in uh, India, for example, you know, there mm-hmm. was these people who were in the lowest of the caste system. And yeah. it, it was just, you know, acceptable. Like, well, of course they're going to be treated like slaves or something like that because, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, they're this low – rank in society and so worldview of the culture very much mm-hmm. uh, you know can make trafficking more acceptable so can That's you, can, it, can you yeah. elaborate a little bit on that like like what is it about the gospel and it's not to say that mm-hmm. you know trafficking that doesn't happen in christian countries per right se, sure it happens right here in the u.s yeah yeah exactly but but what is it about the gospel that you know being more mm-hmm. or less gospel in an area that predisposes it to trafficking or not mm-hmm yeah, for me, from what I've seen, it, of course, like you said, with our Christian worldview, and even even some Western philosophy of individualism, and there, in 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 Thailand, it was it was of course more collective, uh, family centered, but with uh, with the Buddhist philosophy, I don't know. It, Exactly how this plays into it. There's a lot of nuances to Buddhism. I understand some of it, but not all of it. Uh-huh. But the, the, for some reason, there seems to be a a low. Um, the life is not as sacred. An individual's life is not as sacred as it seems to be here, for whatever reason. And this is not this is not completely across the board, but just I give. An, an example, but oftentimes in the hill tribes, northern, northeastern Thailand, the Isan region, oftentimes we see that this, say this, this girl grows up to be 12, 13, 14 years old. She's never been to school, and but now she needs to make a living. 
and then, but she can't read or write, no marketable skills. And so she is sent to either Bangkok or Pattaya, maybe down to Phuket and to the red light district to make a living that she needs to do whatever she needs to do to take care of her family. Family first, not individual needs first, family first. And this plays into Buddhism somehow. But this, we see this happen over and over again within that culture. And then, you know, as far as Christianity, our our faith, that, that plays, you know, in in many instances, this is what the Thai people said to me after they were exposed to Christianity, that they needed to see that Jesus was different than Buddha. That they 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 saw that that it was different in he was different in philosophy. He was different in action because they. They saw us, we didn't really propagate this, but they saw us as coming from God to help them. They said Buddha never come to help their children in a practical, tangible way, but Jesus did. Mm, that's that's really so neat. <laughs> that, that was neat. Uh, they saw our faith in action. They said the monks never did this for us. The monks they wanted to pray for us, but they would pray for us when we when would give them an offering. You guys left your lucrative jobs in America to come here to start these centers to help uh, with this trafficking problem. But through that, they saw the love of Christ. You know, we didn't go in with a pulpit preaching, thus saith the word of God. We didn't come in preaching a sermon with words. We actually came in in action. And that's what they saw. And they recognized that this was the Christian faith actually in action. The the Buddhist uh, philosophy, they never saw in action. They saw it uh, as it was always asking for something, always asking for money, always asking to do this, always asking for something else. But they said Christianity was the opposite end of the spectrum. And there was their words, not mine. There was something tranquil is the word they used, tranquil about our family resource centers. They, they never sent anywhere else. And so, to me, it, through my worldview, I mean, this was my faith in action. I'm not preaching a sermon. I'm not, you know, giving three points and giving an altar call. I am, you know, because the gospel is about going to the vulnerable. And these were some of the most vulnerable in Thailand. I mean, it, they were of the socioeconomic ladder. And so that's who we went to. And we know what James says in Scripture, that pure and undefiled religion is to visit the fatherless and the widows in, uh, in their distress. And to me, that not only confines it to fatherless and widows, but for that broader term, the vulnerable. And so these are the vulnerable 
and our eyes were open to the plight of these people. And so for me, that was God's invitation for me to join him in what he wanted to do within the context of those people and in that, uh, in that arena. Yes. Yeah, so, so you living out your faith was uh, addressing the vulnerabilities you were talking about. Yeah, so, so you that's were, you exactly were, right. You were doing the family resource centers. I heard about uh, homework yeah. assistance and tutoring. Were, were there any other right. things that you all did besides the educational? Oh, oh yes. Uh, along with that, there was the uh, we, we had an educational support system. We had a nutritional, we have a nutritional support system in that we, every month, we send uh, nutritious food home with the children after the after school program to their family. Some of the staples of the diet is in rice and the different sauces that they use in their cooking, just some staples of the diet. And so there was a nutritional uh, component to it and also a wellness because, I mean, Oftentimes, we find out that the families of the people we're serving could not afford basic medical care. Uh, in just one instance with that was that we saw that several of the kids did not have, they could not read the board. They could not trouble reading. Even when they did learn to read, they couldn't read a textbook because their vision was so blurry. They'd never been to an eye doctor, didn't know what ophthalmology was about. And so we had some sponsors who, who uh, we got connected with an ophthalmologist and uh, he helped us out. He gave us a really discounted rate because he knew what we were doing. And then to cover the cost, we had some sponsors who wanted to help out with the eye care for the kids. And we got everyone tested and for those who needed glasses, we were able to get glasses for them. And it literally opened up a whole new world. And so that's just one instance. I mean, anytime anybody within the family has to be hospitalized, there is a, um, there's a stipend. There's a gift that comes from grace that uh, goes to the family to help with calls, with food, whatever they need it for. Um, so that, that in that city, there is a government hospital that they can go see a doctor for very cheap, very inexpensive, but then, okay, they go see the doctor, but then they can't afford the medication or they can't afford any follow-up. They can't afford the treatment. And so w that's where we come in. We can come alongside and help with, with some of that. And so we saw many, we saw diabetes address that it left been left untreated for a long, long time. And well, of course we do that with, uh, we identify the need and we put the, put the need out to our sponsors and the need gets fulfilled. And so, you know, with that, we have also along with that educational, I know kind of jumping around, but with the educational component of our support, there's an annual uh, scholarship, the scholarship that goes toward helping with those uh, costs of a you know of the uniforms, of teacher fees, and that sort of thing, just to ensure we get them in school, we get them fed, we get them medically taken care of, and then also we uh, the spiritual component. We for those who want it, we every week there's a Bible story 
something shared from from scripture if they're interested it's not forced upon them we don't require anyone to become christian we just make it available for them if they want and we've had not only the children but so many of the parents come in just curious about the difference between christianity and buddhism what that looks like and so we're just we're just offering it out there to educational wellness nutritional and spiritual support yeah all of the above uh-huh well that's great you know, I, I heard you mention a lot of different things in there, which obviously are not free, <laughs> like you paying for their medical care and helping with hospital costs, the tutors, yeah, all the, mm-hmm. the scholarships and all that. How do you guys um, fund all of this? Like, what, what, what's the funding mechanism yeah. you use? Yeah, it's uh, from the very beginning, it's been uh, individuals who come along and want to sponsor, sponsor these children. And churches have gotten involved. We've got some churches that, that send a monthly donation to go toward this because we have, we have staff in Thailand, Thai people, that we are paying to run these programs. They, they just look to us for leadership and for funding right now. But it, it's, it's individuals, it's churches, there's been businesses that, uh, that see the need and they uh, they jump on board. So that has been how it's been funded since uh, since 2013. It's just kind. Of, it's really honestly grassroots. Mm-hmm. Um, or we're not real big, uh, but it's grassroots. It's word of mouth. We try to have a presence on social media, and have a mailing list, and those sorts of things. But so much of it's been word of mouth and me getting in churches and clubs and different places. And just uh, for those who are interested, just presenting. And that's where the funding comes from. Yep. Oh, goodness. Wow. That, that's, that's awesome. But that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, because whenever people give mm-hmm. money, they want to know that they can trust whoever they're sending it to. So That's right. And that, that's kind of my role. You know, like I said, we've got a lot going on. We're teaching. We're counseling. But my role is is meeting with these people, even having dinner, dinners or lunches with these people, keeping relationship with individuals, with the sponsors, with the churches, letting them know firsthand what's going on. And then even if they want to travel to Thailand, uh-huh. uh, they can they can do that, especially before COVID. It's, it's a problem right now, but hopefully in the next year that'll open back up. Well, you, yeah. let me ask you about that. With COVID going on, I know that's messed up things for a lot of people. It has. Has COVID affected your funding at all in the last year or two? Uh, year yes, two? it has affected. It's it's affected. Uh, I say this past year, it was a little better. The year before, I mean, we probably lost thirty to forty thousand dollars. Wow. That we normally would have had, which is huge for us. Uh, just to be honest, it's really. It's, it's really quite remarkable that we're still in operation. We took such a hit. I think this year, uh, my wife, who is the CFO, she's running the numbers now, you know, end of year kind of stuff. We have a board meeting this week. We're, we're walking through those numbers to see how what really happened this year. Uh, it was better, but we're not where we were pre-COVID yet. And so we're still... Still digging, still, still sharing, still need 
mm-hmm. uh, sponsors uh, for the kids to keep us going. Because, you know, we, we're, right now we, we are, of course, we are in Thailand. We have a resource center in, in, in a city called Pattaya and one Karat. We opened in a place called Chayapun, uh, which shut right back down because of COVID. They didn't have their, their feet up under them yet, so we had to shut it down. But we've got Chayapum, a place way down in South Thailand and way north that are just honestly waiting on funding to get open. We've identified needs. We have contacts. We have people there that can run the center. And actually, we've got a place down in southeast Georgia we've identified as at risk. And Mm. we have a family resource center in operation there. And so, but, you know, like everything else, it depends on funding. And so, yeah, we did take a hit, but we're working diligently to dig out of it. Well, th- that's, so, yeah. Well, that's actually one of the things I was going to ask you. I mean, you got into it. Um, you have a program here in Georgia, you said. Oh, yeah. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about what you've got going on here in America. Okay. Yeah, we have a family resource center in a little town called Millen, Georgia. It's in Jenkins County, southeast Georgia maybe an hour, hour, hour and a half outside of Savannah, Georgia. Uh, the entire county has, um, I think, like 8,500 people in it, and the poverty rate is setting about 30%. Wow. And, yeah, and so we, we have a contact there that uh, the pastor of a local church, he, he actually reached out to us. He, he uh, learned of us. My daughter actually lives in the area, and she was actually going to church there. He learned about us, actually reached out. He said, I'm looking at what you're doing in Thailand. He said, hey, man, we need what you're doing in Thailand right here in Millen, Georgia. Because he said, I know for a fact there's there's trafficking. It looks a little different here, but it's going on in this little town of Millen, Georgia. And so through the process of time, we've able to uh, establish a family resource center with an after-school program, and and it's it's meeting this week. And we just heard actually from one of the uh, middle school teachers there, and her note was, "Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing. In the short time you've been doing this, just since the first of this school year, she said there's been a remarkable turnaround in the children. And it's not a it's not a lot of children right now. It's like five or six kids." That, that she knows of that, that's in the program. She said there's been a remarkable turnaround in their attitude towards school and their school performance. And so that, you know, the, the long-term thing there is to improve high school graduation rates and introduce them to the college world and let them know that this is possible for you. Just because you come out of poverty and you come out of the gate with a lot of uh, a lot of vulnerabilities and a lot of things stacked against you that does not have to determine the rest of your life. And so that's what we want to pump into these kids and and give them a chance, give them, you know, give them the opportunity to visit college. And 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 if they don't want to go to college, maybe a tech school, whatever it is they're interested in, but the idea is to instill hope in a place where there was no hope. Mm, that's and awesome. So that's going on in Millen, Georgia. Yeah, that's great. 
Well, I tell you, I can mm-hmm. I can hear the passion in your voice and and the way you're talking about expanding oh, to Georgia and everything. What well, what are yeah. the what are the dreams of Grace as far as expanding? Oh man, we got so many dreams. That's good. Uh, yeah, we we've got dreams of expanding this thing in Millen. You know, we're operating out of a church there. They are allowing us to use part of their facilities at the Family Resource Center. Love to have our own place, but even bigger and more far-reaching than that, Keenan, we've identified the most trafficked people groups in the country per capita are the Native Americans. Now, it's a problem. It's absolutely a problem in the Hispanic population and the African-American population. Mm -hmm. Their numbers are huge in this area, but per capita, it seems to be the Native Americans. And we do have a contact in Wyoming uh, right outside of one of the reservations. We, uh, I'm very, very quiet. And so we can't really get into the uh, reservation. A lot of political uh, issues there. And to be honest, they would not trust me mm-hmm. uh, because of all the history. We hear that. We've talked with them. And so, but we do have a strategy we we have uh, we have a plan to work outside of the reservation because so many of the uh, the teenagers go to school go to high school and middle school off the reservation in a public school and we can have an after school program off the reservation that they could come to and reach that population in that manner and so that's a dream that's a big dream my son went to the University of Wyoming at Laramie, and through that avenue, really learned more and more about the plight of the Native Americans and their massive vulnerabilities to them. Mm-hmm. And so that that's it's not on the forefront, it's on the back burner, but it's there. We know that that's possible. I think we have a solid strategy on that. We have contacts there. And it disintegrates all <laughs> into work and funding, but mm-hmm. that's 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 part of the plan. Well, that's awesome. You've got a lot of vision there, which is great because I know there's always a need. Well, let me ask you two last questions. Um, okay. I, I always ask everyone as we're wrapping up an interview if there's any final thoughts mm-hmm. they have and something they want to share that I haven't asked about yet. So, so think about okay. that. And then also, okay. I'm sure listeners have been listening today and just go, man, this sounds so cool. I want to help this guy. This this looks great. So tell the mm. listeners about your website and how they could contact okay. you or support your organization. Sure. www.globalreliefassociation.com. Global, all spelled out. It's a long name, I know. Globalreliefassociation.com. You can go there if... You can, you can find out all about us. We've got a Facebook site uh, by the same name. That's, uh, that's updated almost daily. And then the website, even through Facebook, enter the website. If you wanted to give, uh, you can do that through the website. If you, want, if you were interested in sponsoring a child, uh, the children are on there. We have uh, consent from their parents to put... Uh, very limited information uh, online, but you can see them and you can sponsor online. That is the heartbeat of the organization, the sponsorship of the children. 
you can go on there and find out some things, even about our counseling and then um, all about the anti-trafficking work and kind of who we're connected with. Well, that sounds great. That, that, uh, so it's okay. uh, globalreliefassociation.com. So that's great. That's right. And yep. uh, now share the, with the listeners uh, a final thought of what you wanted to share today with them, mm-hmm. maybe a closing thought for okay. everyone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you read all of the research on human trafficking and you get these huge numbers. I mean, some of the research says $150 billion a year industry, 40 million people in, involved in human trafficking in some way. And, 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 and those numbers are, I mean, they're like tidal waves of information. And it's like, you know, even I would do this. How can we even address that? How can we even look at, how can I make a difference? Uh, I'm just one guy. How can I make a difference? If, but if you make a difference in one child's life, one family's life, then you have rocked the world. You really have. Uh, it takes all of us. I mean, it takes all of us in, in prevention, in awareness, prevention, uh, rescue, rehabilitation. We've been, been involved in some capacity in all of those. But if, if we're just aware, if we just make ourselves aware, and I'm going to go out on a, on a limb here. It's a very strong limb, but say no matter where you're at in the country, where you're at in the world, you're listening to this, there is trafficking right in front of your face. It's often been said to be the thing that is hidden in plain sight. I guarantee that you've seen it. Didn't, maybe didn't know it, but mm-hmm. it was there. It was right there in front of us. I mean, even the research I know in Georgia, uh, here in the U.S., says that trafficking takes place in every county within the state in some way. Mm-hmm. Every county, not just every state, but not just the state in general or the major cities, every county. And so it doesn't matter how rural or how urban it's taking place in some context. And so just being aware, you can make a difference. I say the final thought is get involved in some way. You don't have to sell everything you got and move to Asia. You don't have to do that unless you're compelled to do that. Then do it by all means. But just being aware and noticing things that are out of place. I, I encourage you to go even to the uh, – uh, Homeland Security website, even the FBI website, they've got things to look for that point that says, hey, this might be a trafficking case. Mm-hmm. Just things that we might see every day. So awareness. Everyone can be aware. So that, w- that would be my final thought. Great. Well, thank you so much, John. I appreciate you being on the podcast today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so much to talk about in all this. And you're right. This is the passion. Uh, this is what drives everything else that we do. Absolutely. Well, listeners, uh, that website, again, is globalreliefassociation.com for the GRACE website. And there with Dr. John mm-hmm. Sullivan and his wife, Angie. And I, mm-hmm. I encourage you to go there and check that out and support it. And uh, thank you for joining us today in the Mental Healthy Podcast. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. So thank you so much. Bye-bye.
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Mental Healthy. Please be sure to subscribe for more episodes and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. You can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. We hope you join us next time for more on Mental Healthy. Music for this podcast is licensed under Creative Commons by Excel Music Publishing at freemusicpublicdomain.com. Thank you.